Congratulations, 116, if I got that right, in the IAPLC. Yes, thank you. You know, what is it like getting that letter and, and seeing that? I just kind of ran to the mailbox and I sat down in front of my door. I was really hoping my layout was good enough for top 500. I saw the number and I just started shaking, man. Almost brought me to tears. I mean, I was really shocked, very honored. That's our guest today, Hip Hong. He's a very talented aquascaper from Texas in the United States. As you heard, he placed 116th in this year's 2016 IAPLC contest. He also placed first at the Aquatic Experience in Chicago along with his team and second place in the Nano category. If this is your first time tuning into the show, welcome to our little group and for everybody who tunes in every week. I hope you had a good one. And uh, don't forget, you can check out all the episodes on iTunes as well as Stitcher Radio. Send in your comments and questions to aquascapingpodcast at gmail.com. And the website is aquascapingpodcast.com. Who are some of your earliest influences and do they still inspire you today? definitely has to be a mono i mean when when you talk about aquascaping or any kind of uh, inspirations that i have that there's just one name that comes up and it's it's got to be a mono i mean i don't know i don't know how else to describe it his work is just fantastic even now you know now that he's gone he's my sole inspiration for doing what i do I guess I shouldn't say my sole inspiration, though. There are a lot of names out there that I really look up to. You know, Jeff and Mike Sensky, George Farmer, Uris, just people like that where not only are they just making art, but they're really promoting the hobby. And that's my number one top priority is to promote the hobby as well. In your uh, one of your presentations on YouTube, I was watching it this morning, actually, and you mentioned natural pockets. Can you explain a little bit about what you mean by that and how do you use them in your design? If you think about nature and just for a second, imagine yourself putting your head down into a river and looking underwater and down this flowing river, there are pieces of plants, debris just floating down the river. And if you can imagine that pocket being there and the plant just getting snagged right there, it gets put in that location. It just starts to grow from that little area. That kind of gives it a, a kind of a natural feel in my aquascapes. And the, by what I mean by pockets is sometimes wood will curve into like a little, you'll find a little uh, a nook or a cranny. And uh, you'll see that a lot in rocks too. But also the way you place your hardscape materials can provide these little areas and pockets. So like if I put three rocks together in such a way that there's a little, you know, golf ball size hole, you know, I, I, I would put some maybe AR mini star guide weapons or maybe some like Anubius or Bucephalandra. I'll find those little pockets and place them there because to me it feels the most natural. If I just imagine a piece of Anubius floating down the river and then getting stuck in that hole and then just growing from that that spot that's kind of what i see when i see those little pockets and you know i I really love uh you know i was looking at some of your scapes and your use of color you you know i saw in a couple of them you have just this little pop of red and in particular aqueous uh reflection if i'm if i'm pronouncing that right and you had a little little patch of red on that right hand side and the fish in the aquascape have also a little patch of red. So you are kind of playing on that secondary uh, you know, design element and working that in with the fish, which I thought was just awesome. That was really great. 
But can you talk a little bit about, you know, your use of color and your thoughts uh, on using it in an aquascape? It's really not a, a matter of thought. It's just it looks right. right. Those things don't really run through my mind, actually. And um, I just kind of move things around until they look right. You know, for me, it just clicks into place. When something is arranged in a way that's not quite right, I actually have like a physical reaction to it. I get this feeling in my chest that's like, mm, you know, it's it's not quite there yet with that IAPLC take I spent probably no exaggeration four to six hours every day just sitting in front of that tank what you mentioned with the reds that's completely unintentional but these things that I realized after the fact the kind of points that you brought attention to like the reds I wasn't thinking about it but now that we investigated the scape and we realized that I could intentionally make these improvements next time you know what you said is actually a, a learning experience for me Yeah, definitely. And you know what? Aquascaping in in any art, there's a subconscious level there, right? So Mm. not everything is intentional and not everything's going to come out of, you know, an analytical point of view because this is art. So you have to use both sides of the brain. And sometimes it's equally as important just to go by your feelings and not so much by what you think should be right or, you know, thinking too analytically like that. Absolutely. I want to encourage everybody to check out your YouTube page, which is the Glass Canvas. Is that correct? Uh, Glass Canvas Aquascape. Glass Canvas Aquascape. Okay, cool. And I was watching one of your uh, presentations there. And, you know, I'm a photographer. uh, You know, that's my day job. And then you said something that made it like really click for me that I haven't been able to do yet. And I encourage everybody to go on and watch your presentations and your videos. But you you were showing a photograph and... You said something along the lines of <laughs> the nature didn't put this focal point here. The photographer put the focal point here, mm. you know, because I'm so used to looking through my camera lens and I'll take what's in front of me and create a photograph out of that. But in an aquascape, we're creating the photograph inside the aquarium. So the aquarium becomes the viewfinder. Mm. So, all you know, all of a sudden I was like, wow, you know, this completely makes sense. You know, we're using all these rules that we use in photography, but we're just doing them in real life. So I just want to thanks, you know, thank you for for making me realize that. And oh, yeah. uh, you know, I think your your YouTube channel is a really great um, resource for people. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, my my father uh, was actually a professional photographer when we lived in Vietnam. So all my life, um, I've been learning, you know, all these tricks and tips in photography that my dad taught me. So I think that that gave me a huge advantage when I started aquascaping too, is because the more you look at uh, photography, you you kind of see, you know, like when you see a picture that's not quite framed right, you you know that feeling you get that's like, ah, I wish this was here. Right. That's been ingrained into me like my whole life because because of my dad's background in photography. So this, it really translated easily when I started aquascaping. Oh, that's interesting. You just know when it looks right. That's awesome. So, yeah, you know, and I, and I would suggest for people out there to to do some research. And, you know, if you're looking for inspiration in aquascaping, you, you could look outside of, you know, aquascaping. You could look into, let's say, photography, for example. You know, uh, look up Richard Avedon, Ansel Adams, you know, Cartier-Bresson, Annie Leibovitz, Diane Arbus, all these people uh, that are out there 
you know, just look at the masters of photography and just the more you look at, the more it's going to seep into your head. And just like you, Hip, you know, it comes out at a later time. Just like we talked about earlier, it's just coming out because you feel like it's right or you feel like it's wrong. But what we're learning is that you actually have a foundation in all of those uh, all of those principles. Yeah, the the more you, the more you look at something that's done right, you just you see it over and over and over again. So that when you see something wrong, you you can't quite put your finger on it, but you know it's it's not quite there. So the more you research, the more you look at you know good works, the more you'll be able to recognize when it's done real, uh, done well, or done correctly. What do you think the most important thing was that Imano brought to the table for us? His leadership was what struck out to me the most. And it's not like he was going out and saying, hey, we should all do this, do that. But it's just uh, like his work was so great that everybody wanted to be like him. And we all had this goal to strive towards, you know, that's what I feel like he contributed to us the most. What's it like being an aquascaper in Texas? I feel extremely fortunate because there's only not even a handful of other places in the United States where you have a shop like Aquarium Design Group where I can just stroll in and buy ADA Amazonia Aquasoil, stroll in and buy you know really nice hardscape materials and good quality plants. Uh, I couldn't have done any of the works that I've done or put out without having a shop around like Aquarium Design Group. And there are a couple others here in town that uh, I get some really nice plants from as well. So the, the best thing for me or the most cool thing is the availability of all the materials that I have. I wish I wish, you know, the rest of the United States could say that and maybe one day they can, hopefully. I'm going to be founding this uh, Union of North American Aquascapers soon, and, and our main goal is going to be based around that, expanding the hobby. What can we do to make this hobby greater, bigger, more affordable? That, you know, we can come across these questions and then have like a very serious discussion on what solutions we can come up with, You know what we can do about it. So that's something I'm really excited about, and you know, hopefully rolling out 2017, we can uh, get something started here. You know, I, I, I just got a little message from Sean. I'm going to try to add him uh, into the conversation here. So let me see. If I can add people. I think I would have figured this out by now. I've done it so many times. But. <laughs> <laughs> Hello? All right, I'm here. Hey, Sean. How's it going, man? Hey, how are you doing, man? I'm fantastic. Doing great. Hip, you know, when you're starting the planning phase of an aquascape, are, do you take some time to look for some inspiration looking at going out in nature or looking at photographs or paging through a book or, or browsing things online? Do you start from a I'm looking for inspiration phase or do you start in some other way? For me, all of my best works came from hardscape as my inspiration. So in America, we have this disadvantage of availability of materials, right? So in, in Asia or, you know, almost anywhere else in the world right now, you can have an image in your head and then go out and look for, you know, the materials to achieve that image. But here in America, not so much. Even when I have a great selection like I do here in Texas, 
sometimes it's you know the great materials are not available so what i do is when i'm walking around uh, a shop and looking at wood and rocks there's going to be a piece that stands out to me so i'll i'll take that one piece of inspiration it really is what it is is a piece of inspiration and build the entire aquascape around that so if you go and look at my video where i set up uh aqueous reflection the three pieces of driftwood that i initially lay into the tank was my inspiration for that whole layout so I'm walking through a store. I saw those three pieces of wood. When I put them together, they, they fit together so well, just like puzzle pieces. So I built an entire scape out of that. And same thing with the uh, the hardscape tank that I did, uh, Salient Sanctuary, where I was just walking through the store. I saw a really cool piece that just you know had all these branches radiating uh, radiating out from a single point. It just looked beautiful. So I built the entire scape with that one piece of inspiration, that that piece of wood. And I've had scapes where I saw one single rock that I thought were cool. So I bought a lot of the same kind and kind of made that star of the show and then bought a supporting cast to kind of um, accentuate the one beautiful rock that I have. So I think in America, what we need to do is exactly that. You know, you find one really cool piece, make that the star of the show, go find a supporting cast and really put it all together. So let's say, for example, that you wanted to learn how to draw an apple. There's basically two paths that you can take. You can either just start drawing apples day after day, every day. Or what you can do is you can pick an artist where you say, okay, I really like the way he draws apples. And you start tracing, you start copying his apples day after day. So in one path, you know, you'll still make progression. One day you will draw a great apple. But if you take the other path where you start copying and start tracing, you're going to get a lot better, a lot faster. And uh, you're going to make a lot of progress in a short amount of time. It's, it's almost as if, you know, your older brother went and took a test and told you what questions were on the test. It's like, why not take this advantage to grow? faster what i would suggest is to find scapes that you like find aquascapers that you like and just copy there's nothing wrong with being uh, unoriginal or i wouldn't even call it unoriginal but just copy word for word kind of a situation where it's just copy everything eventually it'll be a part of you it'll it'll be natural you know once you're good at drawing your favorite artist apple you can start putting your own touches in there maybe you can draw the leaf a different way maybe you can draw the stem a different way and then you can start putting your own personality and touches in it but let's you know let's get you good at drawing apples first that's a great analogy on that kind of progression of an aquascaper and how they can best get the the most out of the time they put into each aquascape i think that's something where you can find people who they've done a bunch of aquascapes but they don't seem to be going anywhere whereas other people can do a few aquascapes and you really see this progression in their skill and it's not necessarily because one person's more talented than another it's just that that approach in learning can make a big difference what are the differences between uh, aquascaping for a contest and aquascaping for yourself at home I learned a very important lesson uh, as far as that goes this past weekend because I've always been a, I guess what you could call a quote-unquote purist where I like to stick to the classic nature aquarium style which means you know like a one-to-one -one scale if you were in a river this is exactly what you would see you know lately and you know a lot of us have been talking about it is what really wows people and what really wows the judges are more of the diorama style now so when I'm competing 
I realized, you know, maybe I can not so much as like put down my values a little bit, but maybe I can branch out into that whole diorama scene and try my hand at it because that's really what's winning competitions right now. It's not always about winning, you know, but I do want to do well. I do want to see where my skills stack up. And it's like Steven said, you know, with that style of aquascaping, it really gives you really um, a lot of opportunities to show your skill. Every little intricate detail and piece of that aquascape lends you an opportunity to show the judges, you know, your skill level. What I'm, what I'm going to do for my next IAPLC tank, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to spend probably an entire day looking at the top 127 from this year. And with every single, every single layout in the top 127, I'm going to ask myself, okay, what, what do I like about this tank and, and what makes it great? Okay, and then how can I take this idea and apply it to my tank? And if I can do that at least once or twice with every tank, I've got this whole library of tips and tricks that I could put into my next tank to make it even greater. Yeah, there was one thing I kind of thought of here um, when Hip you brought up, um, you know, how you're approaching your next IAPLC entry. And just with, you know, it always baffles me, I guess. When we look at the number of really kind of talented scapers in the U.S. and then the number of entries we see in the IAPLC, do you have any insight into why, you know, I think there's a lot more scapers who could be putting in some good work into the contest and why we don't see as many entries as I think uh, would be, you would think? I've come to realize, you know, it's really not for everybody. Competing isn't for everybody, but I still want to promote participation so we can have a bigger presence in the grand scheme of things you know like a bigger the united states needs a bigger presence in the world of aquascaping and when we have 14 entries you know it's kind of hard you know a lot of a lot of uh, people that we are in the united states that used to compete don't compete anymore just because uh, they just don't care anymore like not that they don't care about aquascaping or the competition they just don't care about their rank you know i don't need to see how well i do anymore but really let's 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 think about this question i mean Sean, why why haven't you competed? I usually don't have a tank that I feel is ready and up to par when I need it uh, to take a photo. So I, I've not gotten on that path or that cycle of having something ready when I need it ready. So that that's what prevented me um, this year uh, from entering. I have in the past twice, but um, this year didn't get, get a tank that I felt was ready to go. So that's precisely what I think is that... Uh, people are intimidated. They feel like they're not ready or not good enough. And that's something I'm going to have to think about. Is, you know, how can I encourage people to feel like it's okay to just enter? Just enter and see how you stack up. So I think the main problem to, to really answer your question is that I think a lot of people just don't feel good enough or don't feel ready. And they're intimidated. But um, man, just go out and do it. You know, I, I just want to encourage everybody just go out and do it. I, I like the point of just trying to represent the U.S. scene to some extent, you know, showing that we have some talent here and, and that there's people interested. 
Um, and forget even about the rank. I mean, if you don't have something that you think is ready, I, in hindsight, looking back, you know, I wish I would have uh, submitted a photo. I had probably something I didn't feel was quite where I wanted it in the end, but it was still decent and it would have been a nice tank to, to have entered. So, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take your advice and whatever I have when it's time to submit, I'll, I'll be entering next year. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> I'll make sure it happens. I'll be up all all over you, Sean, to see, to, to make you to make you enter. But you Don't know, forget that about up, your uh, entry, yeah, Jay. <laughs> oh no, yeah, yeah I'm far from. Well, hey, if I can, well, uh, see, if that's I can, exactly no, what I'm saying, Jay. Is, yeah, I know you're right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, but, that, but here's that Uagumi you put together. Your first tank that was a solid little first skate, man. That would have been just fine in the IAPLC. Well, here's the thing, and here's what I was thinking as as you guys were talking about this, and the difference is that I noticed, like in Japan, for example, it's very important. Uh, They have a team of people dedicated to scoring highly in that contest. Do we in the United States have that same kind of drive, or, you know, the question is, does it matter to the U.S. as much? When it really gets down to it, the IEPLC, to me, is is an interesting thing to watch. You know, there's almost like a political aspect to it. Uh, it's the the talent is amazing, but is it important for me to be anywhere on that spectrum at all? Do I even want to be compared? I don't. It's for me, it's fun, it, and it's just like uh, you know, it, it's just a release, and it's kind of an, a hobby. By entering into the IEPLC, you're you're taking it to another level that may not be as enjoyable to some as to others. Yeah, well said. I agree. Let's begin. Let's begin. The, the other side of it, too, is I think people get concerned about, you know, well, I can't share my tank then because of the rules. Um, and from my understanding, it's just that final photo, that final little shot that you send to them is what needs to be kept under wraps until the results are released. Detail shots, journals, um, you know, some videos, things like that. You're not going to be disqualified for that. And let's be honest, I mean, I'm not going to rank anywhere in the top 10 anytime ever probably uh, but it'd be nice to get you know to break a certain level there so I'm not really at risk or much isn't really at risk if I'm disqualified for sharing something with the community um, so I think it's an overblown concern for for most of us uh, unless you're really a really top competitor yeah I think that was my interpretation of the rule as well is that the the, the submission photo is what needs to be kept uh, under wraps so we could be wrong here but I, you know that's how i interpret it is that your work their quote-unquote works that needs to be uh, private is just your uh, your final photo submission and hip how could people find out find out more about you the main outlet for me would be my youtube channel uh, glass canvas aquascape check the comments regularly and uh, if you want to contact me there you can post a comment on one of my videos and i'll find a way to uh, get in touch with you uh, another thing i encourage is for people to add me on facebook my name is spelled h-i-e-p-h-o-n-g and you'll probably see my profile picture some kind of aquascaping related profile picture but i encourage people who want help uh, who need advice to reach out to me on facebook and uh, we can spend you know some one-on-one time uh, so i can help them uh, that's all i want to do is just help people in the hobby and, and really get this growing thanks so much for coming on the show i've had a, a really great time talking with you i learned a lot i think this conversation we had was 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 really good i'm excited to put this together and uh, to get this out there so thank you for coming on the show and talking with us oh it's an honor man thank you for having me thanks a lot hip let's go
Okay, everybody, thanks again for joining us on the Aquascaping Podcast. Don't forget to check us out at aquascapingpodcast.com. Send your comments and questions to aquascapingpodcast at gmail.com. You can listen to all the episodes on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you next time. I will flow forever if I had.